This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That First of all, thank you for joining me on the Football CFB podcast. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm interested to know, obviously you are a, a football broadcaster and a very good one at that, but I want to start with your upbringing with football and sport in general. Um, when and where did you start playing football or sport in general as, as a child? Uh, so I grew up in Helensborough, uh, just west of Glasgow, and yeah, started started from well it was straight into under 10s but I remember I think the first year I had a couple of years at under 10s with um, Clyde Centre who were just one there was like two two boys clubs in the town Arden Cape on Clyde Centre I played for Clyde Centre uh, and stayed with them pretty much pretty much all the way through I had a bit of a break because uh, at school I you know we were we were required to play rugby so that kind of took up Saturday afternoons but then when football went to Sunday then I went back to to Clyde Centre and played with them up until I mean it must have been probably up until about under 16s or so. In terms of football growing up who were your footballing heroes as a kid? Oof good question um yeah how do we think about that one I mean because I think like growing up was it was it was really the that that kind of allure of the the foreign market sort of came in yeah. when like football Italia uh, sort of came onto Channel Four and things like that. I found that like that was really exciting to me. That was a lot of the time you spent Sunday watching random Serie A teams playing against that. So probably then growing up, I would say, I mean, it's probably getting a wee bit older, but uh, yeah, it was probably like Gabriel Battistuta always had a big big thing for him when he was at Fiorentina and then went off to Roma as well. Um, younger than that, Carlos Valderrama, you know, like that was yeah. always exciting when you know, you got to World Cups and things and uh, you were sort of, you were introduced to new players that, that you know, caught your attention. Uh, so I remember, yeah, him from, him from 94. I think 1990, 1990 was probably the first World Cup that I, that I really remember, or major tournament that I remember watching, um, but probably because I'd have been six for that. So, uh, like, I knew it was going on, but I would say I probably didn't really know enough about it. Uh, I remember Mo Johnson, you know, lying down in this uh, after it was against Sweden, missed a chance late on, you know, bits and bits and pieces like that sort of sort of stick out, and then like Euro '92. Um, I like the Swedish team in, in Euro '92, like Thomas Brolin, um, guys like that. Ken Anderson, I think, was probably kicking about by then. So, yeah, yeah, that that, that probably gives a bit of a flavour of it. Absolutely, and you mentioned there, obviously, you you obviously love Scottish football that obviously you cover now in your job. But growing up in 
and it was all about obviously foreign football as well. And you mentioned that football Italia there. I'm interested to know, just as you've mentioned, who was your favourite Italian team at that time? I, I mean, I would say Fiorentina because uh, we it was, it was actually in 1990, um, but it would have been after the World Cup. We actually we had a family holiday out there, um, so I had a you know a few days in in Florence uh, and. Yeah, yeah. For you know, for some reason, they just sort of became the the team that I, I mean, they were that was an exciting team as well. They, they they weren't one of the sort of really big guns like the the Milan teams and and Juve at that stage. But um, you know, so it was it was always quite a quite a fun team to to watch, like Rui Costa and guys like that. They were, they were Edmundo, remember him? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, that I quite enjoyed. It. I mean, I, I I never really find like that you. I never support, you know, like really support a foreign team like like you would, you know, with with teams here because, you know, it's a bit of a sort of false association that you have with them. But you have you have definitely teams that you have leanings towards. Absolutely, and you mentioned there as well that obviously going through high school in, in Helensburgh, rugby was a was a big thing um, for yourself growing up. In terms of rugby, was that something you would say that you were better at in terms of football? And did you have a chance of making it in rugby at all? Um, I don't know. I was probably probably sort of similar type of standards. Um, I guess it's it's a smaller pool to to get into to rugby than it is football. But um, I wouldn't say either. I I mean I. I Trials, trials at um, West of Scotland, and at trials at Hibs as a kid as well. Um, but like looking back, like I was always really disappointed. Obviously, when you you don't quite make it, but kind of looking back, I wouldn't say that uh, I really had that true ability. I was fast and I could finish, which gets you so far. But um, apart from that, once uh, once you can stop, you can you can no longer knock balls over the top and race and then lob the goalie. Once that sort of came out, then I wasn't as useful yeah. as I once was. <laughs> um, obviously there we talked about your passion for uh, rugby and football and sport in general. Um, when it became clear you weren't going to get down the professional route as a player in either rugby or football, was was broadcasting a particular passion of yours that you wanted to strive towards so you were still involved in sport? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think when... Um, when leaving school, um, and I took I took a year out, I was away in South America, and left, you know, with with decent, pretty pretty decent grades, uh, that would give me an option to to do, you know, mo- most things out with probably law and medicine, um, to the, the higher education, um, and I left and went to South America, not. Not knowing what I wanted to do, so I just kind of put it on hold a little bit, and I, I knew that I wanted to do something sport-related uh, because, you know, if you're if you're going to be involved in a job for five days a week, then you know it might as well be something that that is your passion. So even then, I, I still I, I don't even know if I really thought of broadcasting and 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 how to get into it. Um, so I, I, eventually my mum actually sent me a course uh, when I was out in Guyana uh, to do sports science in, in Edinburgh and I thought yeah that, that sounds quite good you know maybe go down the coaching route maybe um, 
the sort of sports psychology route, some, something like that might be quite interesting, maybe even journalism. Um, so it, it wasn't really until um, I, I got an opportunity when I was when I was at university um, to go through to, to STV, and it was just really that was sort of my first job, uh, and it was a very junior role of coming in and and putting up post-match interviews on their on their website uh, on a Sunday afternoon, and um, and it, it, it was just a, that was a good place to. To then base yourself and and eventually uh, turned into a full time job and I think that's when you realise you know what positions are available within broadcasting um, so you know I was straight into sort of a production role as a junior AP uh, assistant producer and just you know like cutting match edits and things but but it wasn't something that I I directly went after it kind of came to me. Uh, just you know a few few moments of chance really and then from there it's it's grown because you then see all the different roles that are available whether you want to keep going down the to become a producer or to become a reporter to become a director uh, or to become a commentator um, there's so many paths uh, that you can go down and eventually you sort of work out what skills maybe you're best suited to and and, and and what you're going to want to do long term. Obviously, you mentioned STV there and you worked there, as you say, in a junior production role and then you moved over to Satanta in 2007 as an assistant producer. Um, what was that move like and was was that a bigger role that Satanta offered at that time? Uh, it was a similar role, but at the time Satanta, of course, had... So much more live football yeah. going on. So STV was very much um, cutting highlights for their, you know, Scott Sport, their highlights program. They did have they had Champions League at that time as well. Um, so I did a few bits and pieces on that, uh, but I wasn't at STV for all that long. Couple of seasons. It was actually when um, uh, Jim Delahunt uh, he went down to Satanta as well. And uh, I think he put in a, a sort of nice recommendation for me, and then, and then they, a few months later, uh, offered me uh, a position down there. Um, so it, it was quite, it was quite good going into that weekly live sport environment, which I, I didn't get to be a part of right away because they had a more experienced team. But you know, you're working on all the. Initially, it was more the sort of European football um, side of things. So so feeds coming into the building and. And you turning them around and and doing analysis for half time and all that sort of thing, um, cutting openers and interviews throughout the week just to to sort of beef up the program. Uh, and then it was maybe in season two there that I, that I started um, to get involved in the live stuff and the well there would have been SPL games at the time and going out and uh, yeah being being a part of the trucks. Which are a you know that live environment's really yeah. it's really quite interesting. Um, can be a stressful place because you know every button's live and and you know eventually got into the role of um, being the one that selects the replays that that go out um, and yeah it's it's all it all just sort of grew from there. In terms of you spent um, two years or so at Santanta. Obviously, we know what happened to Satanta. So you left there and you went to 
to work with STV Rugby at the time. And I'm interested to know, um, myself and many others, I'm sure know you as Rory Hamilton, the, the commentator now. And in terms of your route into commentary, it's quite an interesting story, isn't it? Yeah, well, because that, um, that came about once I got to STV, uh, STV Rugby. Um, and Colin Davidson, who'd been the, the boss at Satanta, and yeah, as you say, we all will know how how that sadly ended. Um, but you know, then everyone was still really scrapping around trying to those that wanted to stay in the industry, which which was most um, scrapping about trying to get bits and pieces of work. And STV managed to pick up um, what would have been then the Rabble Direct Pro Twelve, I think it was, or it might have even been Mag- Magnus League. That was it. It was Magnus League at the time. Um, and yeah, so myself and another colleague uh, were both asked to work on that because we'd done a lot of the rugby when we'd been at Satanta. And uh, yeah, they, they were, we were in a meeting after I think it was week one, doing the doing the review of the the program and you know, said what was what was the sort of feedback like? All generally very good, but. Uh, the one thing that they were getting a bit stick for was that because there was a competition with Welsh, Irish and Scottish teams and they had Welsh and Irish commentators but no Scottish voices. So I kinda I kinda joked in the meeting. Um you know, well, well if you need one I'll I'll do it next week. And there was just sort of yeah laugh around the table and then on the way I, I was actually staying up north with my mum and dad in Speyside because, you know, lost my job so it was a case of <laughs> return home with tail between the legs and uh, <laughs> and uh, go home and then I was commuting down to Glasgow uh, for for the weekends to do this programme and when I was driving down I think it was probably on the Thursday uh, the boss phoned me and just said oh look you know how you mentioned that in the meeting about maybe doing the commentary like, yeah right, you're on for tomorrow night so ended up doing Edinburgh against Connacht uh, at Murrayfield which yeah, yeah, it's not a bad place to, to make your debut and uh, the gate I think Edinburgh scored something like 60 points it was still a record until very recently um, so plenty plenty of excitement um, I'd actually done the only game that I'd done previous to that was um, I can't remember who the opposition was it was at Easter Road and it was when it was STV and uh I just I'd asked for an opportunity because I wanted to I wanted to do commentary by that stage. I kind of thought, well, this might be something I can do, um, and so yeah, I was given an opportunity, but it was just just as a practice uh, commentary. Uh, Archie McPherson was actually doing the the real commentary, so he was on a mic uh, at the other side of the gantry, and I was I was uh, doing it at the at the other end as a practice. So that was I'd only had one ninety minutes before doing that 80 minutes on the rugby. In terms of that, obviously, as you've said, it was a memorable game. Edinburgh won 62-13, so you had a lot to talk about that day. And, and from there, you started to pick up a few different bits and bobs with with obviously Sky and, and BBC Scotland as well, um, in terms of Radio Scotland. In terms of the move to Sky, that seems to obviously come about a year or so afterwards. And when you moved to Sky, was that originally back to a production role or was that with you having a view to um, commentating on different sports, particularly football, more regularly? Uh, I mean, it was, I, I, was, I was freelance at the time. Uh, so 
then it's it's really a case of um, of picking up what what work that you, that you can get. And and to be perfectly honest, I, I didn't I didn't really I wasn't necessarily thinking you know just exactly how I'm going to get into you know, being a full time commentator. I didn't really think that that would be a, a, a sort of possible end goal. Um, so it, it, it was a case of picking up whatever work you can get, and also I mean the chance to to go in at Sky, and it was it was very much a, a production role, um, but freelancer. So you know you're you're sort of paid by the day to come in. They give you a call as and when they need you. Um, but that you know something like that puts you in it puts you in a place that you can you can then once as it was with STV. And then at Satanta, you put yourself in a good place, and hopefully you do a good job that allows people to to trust you, and then maybe give you an opportunity um, further down the line. Which was really how it worked with with uh, with Sky doing, um, doing doing production work and working on their their live games, and then you know eventually they asked me if I wanted to go out and do some Sky Sports News stuff. So you do interviews. Um, press conferences, uh, uh, and then eventually got to do Gillette Soccer Saturday. So it all just kind of ramps up a little bit. And uh, I was I was doing some other commentary at the time as well. And and I think then they just they thought, you know, maybe maybe give them give them a chance uh, on on some some live stuff for Sky, which which I would say was an opportunity that came uh, sooner than than I thought it might. I wasn't necessarily. Uh, pushing for it but um was very very appreciative when it did come in terms of obviously commentating at sky it was around 2012 when you started comment uh, commentating on the the scottish football um very regularly and in terms of that original break into it obviously ian crocker as we know is also at sky did you lean on ian for some advice or were you very much your own man and you stuck to your own style and and just went about it the way you knew no i mean uh, i think i think i'd be Daft not to um, lean on Crocs for for advice, and and still do. You know, he's uh, he's he's always been a, a a close ear that I can have if if I'm ever looking for for any advice. Um, and it, it was that was a really good um, kind of in that season, and I, I got to because they always seem to do Scottish Cup double headers. It would usually be on a Sunday. So, so we I think we did. I did Arbroath Rangers while I think Crocs was up at um, Peterhead Celtic. Uh, so, so when they were picking those double headers back to back games on the same day, then they obviously needed a, a second voice. So, um, and I, I, I did quite a lot that season. I think I, I must have got something like eight, eight or eight or nine games between the, then and the end of the season, which was fantastic, and did the. Scotland under twenty ones and things like that as well. So it was a uh, they really sort of threw me in there. And the sort of years after that, it wasn't it wasn't as easy to get as many gigs as that. But um, it was a it was a really good start. As you say, you you got plenty of games under your belt when you originally went in in twenty twelve. You've talked there about Ian Crocker and the fact that you can lean on him. Um, in terms of your time at Sky, um, who would you say were your favourite co commentators to work with? I, I mean, I've, Andy Walker is uh, somebody that I've, I've worked with um, from the very first days at STV. 
Um, so he was he was the guy who who really stood out uh, for me and and was always um, always a, a really good guy to have by your side. Um, you know, to guide you through those those first few games are always uh, very nervy. Um, uh, so you know, to have somebody like that that you know, and you know that he knows the gig and he's not going to stitch you up or anything. Uh, that's a, that's a reassuring uh, person to have by your side. And so I think me, I think the majority of the games over the the time that I was at Sky, I, I will have done with Andy and then latterly uh, Neil McCann as well, who's who's uh, you know a really good sidekick as well to to have on games. In terms of that relationship between commentator and, and co-coms, is it really important to build a good rapport with them personally as well as professionally, so that as viewers we can we can basically feel that relationship when you're on screen? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point, um, and and you know sometimes something that sometimes it's, it's something that you don't re- you aren't given the time to develop. Sometimes you just turn up at games. And it's like, great, there's your co-commentator. Um, but I mean, the majority of the time, it's usually people that are experienced and that they're in the role because they're personable uh, and because they, they know what's required of them in the game. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it is something that, that is really important. And, and with each of the, the um, co-commentators that, work with and have worked with you, you try and try and develop that because it's so much better if you can play off one another and if you if you if you're comfortable around them then it's it's going to come across in the broadcast i would i would have thought absolutely but as i say as a fan um when you listen to, to co-coms um for instance yourself obviously will come later to bt but you can just tell when you're on with chris sutton or stephen craig and ali mccoy's you can just tell that there's a good rapport and a good relationship there and for me as a as a, as a viewer it does shine through yeah no it's i mean the, the three guys that you mentioned there i mean they're, they're they're so easy to get along with it's um it's uh it, 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 it's, it, it's just it, it does feel very natural when when you're up there, it's not that you're just trying to um, to generate something that's that's a little bit false. And, um, I think also I know we'll, we'll talk about BT later as well, but they've they've got a um, they probably want it to be a little bit more lighthearted, maybe not quite take it so seriously. Um, that, that you know you can have have a little bit of a laugh and a joke. But obviously, the the football matters as well. Definitely, and the two main questions I've got for, for football commentary in general for you are, um, in terms of the build-up to a match, for instance, if BT were to say to you, right, Rory, you're on Hearts versus Aberdeen at the weekend, when do you start preparing for that game and how much preparation and time do you put in to collating all your notes before you go on air? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, I would say it's... Uh, your your prep is an ongoing thing, you know, throughout throughout your you know entire life <laughs> that you, you're kind of preparing with with games in mind. Um, but a lot of that just that comes because you have a natural interest in the subject that you're going to be talking about for the ninety minutes. So, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter that say I'd be doing Hearts Aberdeen, I'd still be reading about things on the. Saturday beforehand, the Sunday, the Monday, yep. about about those games anyway, because I'm naturally 
interested in it and I, and I want to know what's uh, what's being said. Um, when it comes down to the sort of the more like, nitty gritty stats down onto a, a piece of paper, and uh, I do I do every commentator does it differently, and a lot of them uh, put up their sort of pictures of their notes and things. Um, I do I do little cards for every player uh, in the squad because we get a stats pack uh, sent to us yeah. for every live BT game, um, and it's it's a case of condensing that so age, place of birth, caps, uh, appearances, how their form is this season, any interesting little tidbits, and and it, but you expand on on a lot of the things that you're. That you're given. So I would say, if the games say the games on a on a Friday night, uh, I would that side of things. I would probably look to start preparing around about the the Wednesday. It depends. It depends what the schedule is because um, <laughs> I'm looking into a few things um, for next month, which gets really really busy. Um, we're so we're away in Copenhagen doing the Celtic game, and then come back to a game on the Friday night, which I think is St Mirren Hearts. Then I've got a rugby game on the Saturday and then there's another there's another BT game on the Sunday. So you don't have the luxury of of, of giving yourself that kind of prep time. If you've just got a game on the Friday, then yeah, yeah, probably the Wednesday I'll start I'll start noting things down and that'll go through uh, until the, the Thursday and then the Friday. Um Start start getting my my script and and a few of the the maybe key points that you want to bring up with with the co-commentators and yeah just getting getting more of a feel for the game then. This might um, sound like a daft question, but obviously you're a big football fan, and if you go and watch a game for pleasure, obviously it's completely different to working at it. But I'm interested to know just how different is it being in the commentary box to watching the game as a fan, because obviously you do both. Yeah, yeah. You, you, even even when you go as a fan, you do become a little bit more analytical. Because um, uh, I mean, I I still I go to pretty much every Scotland game um, as a fan, home and away. Uh, and <laughs> definitely, definitely, when my mates are sort of maybe getting annoyed at a certain player or something like that, I'll be like, hey, you know, that wasn't actually him, because <laughs> because you start to recognise more. You know, you're reading more into like book colour or, or the way that somebody runs that you maybe you recognise things better than you would if you, if, if you were just going normally so uh, but, I, but I can still the, the nice thing which I, that's why I've always kept Scotland games um, for myself and make sure that I go to them as a fan um, is because you need to remind yourself that you're a fan and you're not you're not just there to be making notes and and seeing what little bits of information that you can find that you can actually, you know, lose yourself in the, in the moment, um, and and just remind yourself that, you know, that, that's why you're into the game in the first place is is to be a fan. Another question I've got for you that I'm interested about is, you've obviously covered some really big games and important games, cup finals in your career. See, as a commentator, do you feel an extra pressure? Going into a game like a cup final, or do you just treat it like every other game? I, I yeah, I guess there's pressure. I, I think I think to be honest, they're easier because you're excited. Like those games, 
probably he'd probably like a player you're you're really up for and I would say you know you're probably a bit more meticulous in your prep but I've always I've always thought when when you're going into a game as a commentator you want stories to emerge you want to be able to and you want to try and try and put the words to that story as it as it happens I think that that is your job and in those big games half the story's already written beforehand because it's a big game and, and, and then the second half is this is what's going to emerge from that game and the results that come with it so sometimes yeah I would say you're, you're, you're probably a, a little bit more nervous but it's a good like nervous excitement um, beforehand uh, a, a lot of the times the hardest games to do are, are those which which don't mean very much and, and you're having to try and essentially sell it for, for 90 minutes Absolutely, and I can imagine, as well as a commentator, um, how hard is it to commentate in a game that's a bore nil-nil and there's just nothing really substantial happening in the game? How hard is it to maintain that same level of delivery and motivation as you would for a four-each thriller? Yeah, <laughs> and inevitably you're going to get them. Probably not quite as many good ones, as, uh, not as many bad ones as good ones, but, you know, it's not... You do, you do get a fair fair number of poor games. I think that's that's where that's where you really earn your your money as a commentator because it because it is tough if, if there's very little going on and the ball just keep, keeps going out of play. <laughs> yeah, that, those games I I find them I find them tough. I guess when you've got you know Chris Sutton and Stephen Cragen or Dally McCoy or Alec Ray, Michael Stewart alongside you, that's also when those guys come into their own because they know that that something's expected of them to to try and you know generate interest as well. Um, so as long as you know we do it with a with a three team commentary with two co commentators, which which I I think I, like I quite enjoy it. Uh, it allows for a little bit more of a maybe conversational uh, style to it, and I think in in games like that that's when. That's when it really well. That's also when you. That's when you use all your stats as well. <laughs> so when I say like you know if maybe you're doing two days of preparation for a game, if it's a if it's a great game, and it's four each, and it's in a cup final, I'll I'll get to seventy minutes and I won't have even looked at my notes. Whereas if it's you know nil nil after seventy minutes in a game that is maybe a sort of mid table battle, then you use them all up. That's interesting, very good insight, thank you. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, obviously we talked there about your time at Sky, you were there for as a football uh, commentator across Scottish football um, primarily for five and a half years. What, what are your memories of your time at Sky and your most memorable matches? Well, Sky, Sky was great and still still very, very close. I mean, it's a small industry in, in Scotland, but um, still very close with, with all the guys that, that I worked with there. Um, in terms of memorable matches, because it weren't not always the ones where I was actually commentating on it. Remember a few of the Scotland Under Twenty Ones games. Uh, I really enjoyed them, uh, and it actually one of the best performances that I saw from an individual player was uh, Quincy Promise for the Netherlands Under Twenty Ones. Yep. That really stood out for me. 
uh, and that was a big game at the time. Scotland were doing really well in their group, and I think they'd won away. Uh, John Rhodes had scored, um, so so that, that that was sort of a, that was a big game to do. Um, first game was was Arbroath Rangers, uh, so that obviously sticks in the mind. I did a, um, I did a, I did a one old firm game um, at Ibrox, which was a three-two game. Uh, the Rangers won, and the year that they were subsequently demoted uh, for 3D commentary when when broadcasters were still uh, sort of trying to see if they could go down that road. So that that one that one sticks out as well. Um, I'm sure I'm sure there are there are others. Um, and in terms of uh, uh, production-wise, worked on the 2016 Scottish Cup final between Hibs and Rangers. Uh, which I mean that was that was just mayhem in terms of a game. It was an absolute classic, um, and obviously there was all the stuff in the aftermath as well that we are then trying to turn around pictures and, and to know what you can and can't um, put to air. Um, it's quite a few big Champions League games as well um, in, in the earlier days with Sky. So yeah. Yeah, I guess that gives a gives a bit of, bit of flavour to that. Absolutely. In in terms of old firm games, you mentioned with Sky, you commentated on one in particular for the three D commentary. And with BT, you've obviously done many more. What's it like getting into a game like that? Because obviously, with the polarised nature of um, both sides and the sets of fans, I mean, I can imagine it's it's one for yourself that must be hard getting into it in the sense that as Ian Crocker and Derek Ray and many other commentators like yourself have said over the years. No matter how good a job you do, you do in the day, you're always going to be accused of being one way or the other. Is that a particularly tough challenge, or do you just basically ignore that and just go on with the job in hand? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess so. Like any any game, you go into um, as a as a neutral, but a lot of a lot of viewers uh, are are trying to work out <laughs> which team that you want to win. Um, which I always like. I always find that quite quite funny because uh, you, you have to be neutral as a as a commentator, and, and if, if you're not, you know, I, I would always go into a game as a neutral. But you're right; you're always going to get scrutinised for that. So it's. I would say after that game, I probably I probably took 24 hours before well, I did the um, cup final, the league cup final. So I probably took 24 hours longer uh, before uh, afterwards than I would a normal game to uh, just check any Twitter notifications <laughs> um, because you just you don't know what's coming your way. But actually, actually to be honest, it, it was all it was all pretty positive. So you know, I'll I'll take that as a as a response. Um, I mean, some, sometimes it's sometimes it's the oddest things that that you get criticism for, or it can just be one individual that maybe picks up something. Um, that you said, and you know, you never, you never, um, you never start out trying to trying to upset anyone. With, but you know, some people get very offended very easily these days. But in the main, I, I, I don't get I don't get too much um, too much stick. But we'll see. There's always the next game. <laughs> of course, and um, we'll come on to BT now. And BT came into the Scottish game, um, particularly after ESPN were involved, and, and they subsequently withdrew BT took over and 
Derek Gray was the lead commentator for Scottish football with BT and Derek obviously I've, I've interviewed Derek recently and obviously he made the decision to to return um, to America and you obviously then stepped up to replace him and in terms of that obviously with Derek being such a recognised commentator did you speak to him before obviously you then moved to BT to be, become the lead Scottish commentator or was it a case of as I said earlier Ian Crocker or do you just you know what you're good at, you stick to what you're good at, and the fact they've wanted you says says enough, so you just go with what you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had a good sort of um, constant dialogue with, with Derek, but it wasn't at all that it was, um, you know, he, he, may have, he may have had uh, somebody in mind that he thought might be able to fill his boots as, as closely as possible, but... Um, I'm not too sure, to be honest, but I always had a really good working relationship with with Derek. Um, you know, you're often turning up to uh, games games at the same time and and catching up, and you'd see him at events and things like that as well. So um, to to be asked to to go and fill that role, and you know, somebody that's that's such a an experienced and and quality. Commentator, I think probably at first you you think, well, that's quite daunting. But you've always, you've always just got to you got to be your own man. I think with Absolutely. with commentary, I think probably I've got a style that's maybe similarish to to Derek, but that's that's sort of not really through any means of of trying to. It's just it's, I try and be as natural as I can. That it was um, one of the first bits of advice that I got um, was from uh, Martin Tyler. Uh, so I was given his number by a colleague at Sky and rang him up and had a good few conversations with him. Uh, had a good relationship with Martin and 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 he said to me, "Look, don't take on too much advice. Be yourself and and don't try and copy anyone else's style. Just make your own style." So I guess uh, I guess you you always have influences. You know, you you, you as a budding commentator you, you you see or you listen to who you like and I guess you develop your own your own style from there Very interesting insight again thank you and in terms of BT obviously the transition from BT to Sky we mentioned earlier that Sky's coverage albeit very good coverage maybe has more of a serious edge whereas the BT Scottish football coverage as you've said earlier is quite conversational and quite relaxed and when you moved from Sky to BT, did it take a wee while to adapt to that, or was that the sort of setting you were desperate to work in and, and absolutely thrilled to be part of? I mean, um, yeah, it's, it was very easy to move in. It's a, it's a really um, good bunch of guys, and, and also it's, it's people that, that I knew anyway. It's a, it's a small industry. Um, so when I was at Games before, I mean, I worked with... So Daryl Curry was... He was an assistant producer at um, at Satanta as well, so I used to sit opposite him. Um, Grant Phillips, who's the exec producer, uh, he and director, he he worked with Satanta as well. It, it's so, it, and even even then, when you're at Sky, you're turning up to games and and you'd be chatting to these guys anyway. So it was very very easy to to go in and. Maybe, maybe particularly so with the, you know the role of commentator, because essentially that style doesn't really change too much. I did go into 
working with two co-commentators rather than one, but it's that so that maybe took a little bit of getting used to. Um, but you know the the game the game really does the talking. I think probably BT style uh, comes in and around maybe more that the, the sort of stand up chat um, that that Daryl has with usually four guests, which you know which is quite a lot uh, in comparison to most other broadcasters. Um, but the the game itself is probably not too much different from what others do. I must say, as a fan, BT's coverage of Scottish football for me, and I'm not just saying this because I've had Derek on and I've got you on now, but for me, it just just was a breath of fresh air to the game up here, I think. The BT coverage for me, and this isn't a slight on Sky or anyone in particular, it's just, I think the BT coverage, as you've said, it's conversational, you've got more guests on, but Daryl manages it well and it, and it, it seems natural rather than forced and... As you say with the, the co-commentaries, the fact you've got three guys on, especially if you're commentating, for instance, alongside Chris Sutton and Ali McCoyst, obviously they cover the Celtic element and the Rangers element, and obviously they've got a lot of the time polarising opinions in football, but they're able to talk about them in a way that's entertaining. So I'm interested to know, um, working alongside guys we mentioned earlier, Chris Sutton, Ali McCoyst, Alec Gray, Stephen Cregan, what's it like working with those guys? Because... They just come across as so natural um, on the screen. And I must be honest, BT's coverage in general comes across really as very natural. So is that something that took a while to build up? Or is it just you're all at ease, you're doing something you love and it just spills out from there? Yeah, I, I, I think you're you're absolutely spot on. We, we meet up early before the games and it's a very inclusive atmosphere from you know presenter, director, to you know the runners and and all the APs like everyone is it, it's it's a it's quite a close closely knit team you know there's not really a hierarchical system in place um we've we've got uh we take a, a sort of Winnebago to to the game so that's, that's like <laughs> where the whole hub of everyone meeting up and you you have your your dinner and then and then sit about and. You know, some people will go off because they need to get their makeup done, or they need to go and do an interview, or they need to film some fans. But in the main, that's that's sort of where everyone is in the lead up, and and so you, that's when you're you're chatting and you're having a laugh and a joke, but you're also planning, you know, what's what route the program's going to go down. Maybe that that's where you, they probably you know might be where Chris forges his opinion against Alec Ray's for example that and they'll they'll have you know little heated chats as well in the in the in the Winnebago uh, before they go on air but but in the main it's 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 lighthearted it's good fun it is it is really like you know a bunch of friends uh, sort of meeting up and then suddenly a camera gets put on you <laughs> I'm interested to ask about obviously two in particular and I'll start with Chris Sutton um, he's been very high profile in Scotland and for me he does a lot of good for the game some people say maybe at times he can be a bit too controversial but I think you can just see his passion for, for Scottish football whenever he speaks and what's he like to work with and is he as controversial in the Winnebago beforehand or does he save that for the, the cameras? No, 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 he's exactly the same <laughs> um, he's, he, he's, he's great to work with um, and I think particularly with the profile 
that he has down south. He's high profile. He's on so many broadcasts. To have somebody kind of fighting a corner because a lot of the time down south in particular they maybe they maybe have an opinion of Scottish football that that is, is fairly ill informed. Um, and and Chris obviously knows the game up here. He knows the the passion that that we have for our game and and he lets that come through and he lets people down there know it despite the fact that maybe you know we don't we don't have a player earning a hundred grand a week but it doesn't necessarily make the game any worse. Um but in terms of working with him, uh great to work with. Uh it's unbelievable the amount of work that he does. You know, he'll he'll turn up for you know a European game in Ren having been at Stamford Bridge the night before and he'll be going to another game or do it's almost every game that we're doing he's straight on to the next one I mean the guy the guy's working eight days a week it's it's unbelievable but he still turns up for the game that you're doing immaculately well prepared and I noticed that I found that out straight away because he would he would question me. He would he would ask me what I think about this. So my first game was Air United Kilmarnock. So it was all right. What what are they going to do? What, are they going to play four four two? You know who, who's who's the main man up front? All you know any anything any types of questions that that you would be asking. But he was he, I realised then that he knows what he already thinks, but he's he's making sure I do too. So every time I know. That I need to turn up as well prepared as him, or else, you know, it, it shows. And there's a few times, he, like you know, so I think there's a few times you'll you'll catch me with a random question <laughs> that I don't have straight on the tip of my tongue or in my notes. I think it was in one of the uh, was it the Ren game, uh, the Ren home game in the Europa League, and uh, and we were talking about well, you know, Celtic need to win this because although they're already through. You know the difference between drawing and winning is, however, however much money. And then he said, "How much is it for a draw? And how much is it for a win in the Europa League?" And I went, "Oh <laughs> no, I totally walked myself into that one because I didn't have it written down. I knew roughly, but uh, I made sure I knew for the next game." <laughs> <laughs> um, he's some man, and obviously we've talked about Chris and just even the balance. Obviously, what's what's Ali like? Obviously, on the panel with Daryl and and the boys, he gets slagged a lot for his timekeeping. His in terms of doing co-coms with Ali, are you just ever worried that he's going to be there in time for the match? I think, I think there was one that he ended up doing co-coms because he missed the, uh, the shifts <laughs> in, the, in the studio. Um, but uh, no, Ali's great. He's exactly he's exactly as you would expect. I mean, I, I, I think I was even surprised before working with him. You know, you, you just assume that that, that is you're like, that must be an act. Nobody can be, you know, that jovial, that friendly, but he, he really, he really is um, absolutely top guy. Because I, I kind of knew him, but only in a more professional sense from doing Sky Sports News uh, and, you know, you're at press conferences yeah. and that was at the time when Ali was manager at Rangers. They're being demoted down into Division 2 and, that's all. That those are hard 
um, press conferences, you're asking questions that you don't want to ask, that he doesn't want to answer. But but that never that never became an issue. That he he just he respects you for for what you had to do at the time. And uh, Alex Alex a great guy. In terms of the other guys, obviously. Uh, Michael Stewart and Stephen Craig, and are they as opinionated off air as they are on air? Oh yeah, oh Michael, <laughs> Michael especially. I mean, he he'd have an argument with himself. <laughs> he's he's unreal, but I get on really well with Michael actually. Um, you know, we've both got sort of similar interests out with out with football, and maybe uh, with uh, Stephen Craig as well. Actually, like to head into the hills, and that's something that I like to do in the spare time um so yeah those those two guys are probably probably naturally uh get on with the best out, out of the group but um yeah yeah it's it, it's a it's a really good good bunch really um yeah as you say opinionated but, but very friendly as well in terms of bt the coverage has been very well received you're into almost your, your basically third year of, of being with the uh, BT covering the Scottish football and what are your highlights of the time you would say so far? Um, yeah, uh, well I think I think being given you always want to be involved in the big games and you so so European ties for me uh, really really stick out. Um, so that's been great. The first one I got to do was um, Zenit against Celtic. So you're going over. I like to travel as well. So going over to St Petersburg, that was that was pretty cool. Um, and then you know we've had, we, because we've had the the Betfred Cup throughout. So doing cup finals, um, you know those those are big days. And you know the last one being the the Celtic Rangers game. You you don't really get much much bigger than that. Um, best game, though, that I think I've done, uh, the one that sticks out was the Hibs 5, Rangers 5 in the last day of the season. Oh, unbelievable. Um, no, on my first, first season, that was with Neil Lennon doing the aeroplane and all that <laughs> sort of thing. That just, um, you didn't know what way that game was going to go. It was absolutely brilliant. I'm interested, you mentioned, obviously, European ties there had been a big thing in in terms of, see, when you go on a European trip with BT um, or any company in particular, do you get a chance to spend time with the guys like Chris Sutton and Ali McCoyst or any of the production staff as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, because Chris is usually he's usually doing a Champions League game before, so he might arrive maybe a little bit later. Um, yeah, absolutely, because there's only really, for the, because particularly if you take this year and last year, we've had Celtic and Rangers both in the Europa League. Uh, I've been... You know, I've, I've been allocated Celtic and and to do to do them throughout the competition. Um, so it will if if we're away, then Rangers are at home. So they'll have the main sort of hub will be at Ibrox, and then they'll they'll throw to our game, which will be the earlier game. So when we're actually out there, it will be well this year. It's been myself, Chris, uh, Paul Dempsey, uh, an assistant producer. And a sound guy. So there's only there's only five of you out there. So we'll, yeah, we'll 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 meet up. We'll have a have a meal together the night before the game. Um, maybe go out for a beer after, and then you know I, I always always meet up with Chris uh, 
in the hotel and we'll have lunch together the next day before the game and just just talk through um talk through the game see see what our our thoughts are so yeah no it, it, it's, it's quite a sort of good good social scene uh for that as well i, I like i say i i love travel so i like to uh i like to get out and, and see a place rather than just yep. be in a hotel so actually <laughs> looking at my copenhagen travel today actually i'm wanting to go over a, a, a couple of days early just because it's a city that i I don't know, but I would like to know. So, um, yeah. In terms of obviously, um, BT obviously the 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 deal to to um cover Scottish football as we know was up last year, and a lot of fans, myself included, to be honest with you, were hoping BT would at least, at the very least, stay a part of the coverage because it's been so refreshing, and obviously, sadly, it's going exclusively to to another company. Um. At the time you wrote to the bosses at BT to talk up Scottish football ahead of the decision, um, were you desperately hoping at the time that BT would at least, at the very least, stay a part of Scottish football? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be it'll be a big loss um, to the game up here, but but also, you know, in, in BT's coverage as well. I think I think that, that they they love the the work that we've done and, and what it's done before I was there, um, it's, it's been a really good part of their portfolio. So uh, that was, you know, a real disappointment that, that they're not going to uh, continue with it. Um, the reason that I, you know, you're, I, I knew it wouldn't have any influence because these are these are big decisions that are made at, at board level and things like that. But I, I, saw, I get frustrated with the way that maybe or the value that Scottish football has um, or is perceived to have um, to those that are throwing the money in. And, you know, it's, it's obviously got to be something that works works for a company. But yeah. I, when you, you compare the the rates that are going for Scottish football to most other leagues in Europe, then then it, it is lagging behind in terms of the numbers. Um and when you when you've got particularly a selling point like a Celtic Rangers game, then I I see that as something that you know should be massively value, valuable to to a company. In terms of the last um, six months or so of the BT coverage, are you guys just striving as much as possible to go out in the ultimate high? And what are the plans for the future? Obviously, I know. Um, you're all tied in with Premier Sports, so we're going to see more of you still over the next few years, which as a fan, I must say, I'm very relieved about. But in terms of the actual league coverage, is it just prepare as well as you always have and go out in the ultimate high? Yeah, I mean, we'll just we'll just keep doing what we're doing. I think that I think that showed even from the from the the week that we that there was announced that Sky had the exclusive deal for the rights. Yeah, we. Everyone just just turned up and get on with it. You, you've got to be quite uh, quite malleable malleable in this industry because rights change hands and it it opens new doors. It shuts some, uh, and you've just got to got to try and try and work with it. As as you say, you'll be doing stuff with Premier uh, next year, and and certainly this year looks like it will be similar to what it was last year with with all. A very very similar team uh, involved, um, and of course you know BT they're keeping hold of the European rights which they just won recently, 
so I would hope to I would hope to have continued involvement um with that going forward as well. So other than other than that, I, I don't really know where I'll be next next year. But I guess it's sort of back into the back into the freelance market and and just just see where it takes me. But got a good good three year base as a as a full time commentator, which is uh, which has been an amazing experience. Absolutely, and I must say, um, I really enjoy the BT coverage. And when you took over from Derek, they obviously had heard bits of you in Sky, but hadn't heard as much of you as obviously maybe Derek and Ian Crocker, but. You really have really impressed me as a fan over the last few years, and as you've said with the the two co-coms, I enjoy the relationship you've got with the two guys I mentioned in particular, Chris and Ali. So um, it's been a joy, and as I've said, for me as a fan, I think not just myself, but lots of my pals and other people I speak to, it's going to be such a big loss for us as viewers when BT sadly moves out of Scottish football. Yeah, no, it's, it's very kind to say. Um, thanks for that. It's, and that, that's that's generally the the message. That we get from, um, you know, usually social media. That's where you, you get most most of those types of messages. But it, it, if, if you're being told that you're doing a good job, then you know, I, I always think, think things will things will work out. It would be a shame if, if you know this this team gets split up and everyone goes their separate ways. But uh, you never know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Um, I'll finish now with a wee round of quick fire questions, if that's all right. Okay. Um, Ronaldo or Messi? I'm going to say original Ronaldo, but I know you want you mean the Portuguese <laughs> one, Messi. Well, in terms of obviously, you mentioned the original Ronaldo. Would you take him over both Ronaldo and Messi? A uh... yes. Why would you choose him over those two? I I. I... It's, it's probably just because it's a slightly more of a generational thing. Like, yeah. I grew up at that time, probably where you're like, you're really idolizing guys. Whereas Messi, it's been more as when I've been in a professional um, sort of scenario. So, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, Messi, uh, Messi and they're all, they're all incredible. I, 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 I think there was a, there was a spell where, where Ronaldo probably his last, first season at Barca one of his seasons at Barca and he was just absolutely unbelievable um, Messi and Ronaldo in fairness have, have done that season after season for their careers but um, that was had a bit of a soft spot for the original Ronaldo I'm interested as well as part of this is you obviously commentate a lot on rugby union um, how different mm-hmm. is it commentating on rugby union to football? Uh, yeah yeah it's is different. Um, you've obviously got, yeah. Uh, you get the the breaks for scrums can that can that can be quite odd because you can sometimes get four or five minutes where where there's nothing happening and they're just resetting. So that's that can be that can be quite tricky. But I think what we're now seeing in football is all the VAR and all that sort of thing, uh, which we've not got in Scotland yet, but. Um, I'm sure it'll come eventually. Um, the rugby have been doing that for, I don't know, 10, 10 years, maybe probably more. Um, but in certain terms of the game, yeah, I, I quite, I quite like having uh, that variety. If you, if you're just turning up and you're, you're seeing the same teams week in, week out, it, I think, it, I think it's good to 
have a bit of a you take yourself out of the football environment and you, you turn up at the rugby environment. It's just it's just good to do something different, different atmosphere, different people involved. I, I quite like having that. It's quite refreshing. Would you rather commentate on a Champions League final or Scotland at a major tournament? Scotland, absolutely. Although I don't, you know, I've answered that far too quickly. Champions <laughs> League final because I'd I'd rather be in the stand watching Scotland. I thought that myself actually, but I'm surprised when you came in so quick actually myself. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to any budding commentator? I, to be honest, I would say uh, there's there's a few there's a few of the sort of younger guys that I do meet up with um, and just try and pass on advice, uh, and I would. I would reiterate um, what Martin Tyler told me and don't take on too much advice. Sounds good. And the last question I've got for you is, if you could make a five-a-side team out of your ex-co-commentators and current co-commentators, what would it be? Oof. Uh, not many goalies going about. <laughs> I don't think we have any goalies. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, okay, we're going to have to do rush goalie. Uh, so pick somebody like big Johan Mielby to to <laughs> fill fill a big big place in between the sticks. Um, uh, right, let's see. Uh, a lot of attackers. So we've got to have. There's not many defenders in there as well. So we'll have Stephen Craigan at the back. Right. Um, and uh, let's see. I've got to have Chris and Ali. Like that, that would be quite a good little combo as well. Obviously, maybe not for five sides, but I'd have to, <laughs> have to have that. <laughs> One more. And that's four. Uh, and let's go Andy Walker as well. Why not? And here's a, I did say last question, but I'm, this has interested me as well. If you could choose any manager in world football to manage that five-a-side team, who would it be and why? Uh, I would go with Gordon Strachan. Because that, that fulfils that he's a pundit as well. <laughs> Fair enough, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, thanks for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, um, Rory. It's been a joy and I wish you all the best for the rest of the season. And obviously long term, it'd be a real shame to, to miss out on your commentaries with Scottish football. So I really do hope you're, you're involved regularly going forward after the season's done. And if not, at least you'll still be on Premier with the guys for the, the, the Scottish Cup. So I wish you all the best and I look forward to hearing you again. Yeah, nice one. Thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it too. Thank you.